you got your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 3. Today I've simply entitled the message, Arrived. That's it, just simply arrived. Because I don't know if you're anything like me. When I was in school growing up, one of the things that I used to do was I actually watched the clock. And when I was in elementary, I looked to the clock, and, and it used to move so slow when I was a kid. Now as an adult, it seems to just fly by. But as a kid, I remember watching the clock because all I could think is, I'm ready for 3 o'clock to hit for that bell to ring to get on a bus, go home, and play the rest of the day. That's all I could think about. Saturdays were amazing days for me because I didn't have to get up and go to school. I was ready to arrive. I remember also making those jumps. Isn't it amazing today that there are more graduation services than when I grew up? We now have kindergarten graduation. Who doesn't pass kindergarten? <laughs> Tie your shoes, count to 10, say your ABCs. I mean, really, it blows my mind. But we want the pretty pictures, and we want to watch kindergartners in cap and gown, right? And then there's fifth grade graduation. When I, you know, We did have a sixth grade graduation when I was growing up, and I was like, this ain't the graduation I'm looking forward to. I still have to go six more years to school. I remember when I, six more years. I, we didn't, middle school didn't start for me until I was in the seventh grade, you know, back in the day. And so I remember graduating in sixth grade and thinking to myself, I'm, no, this, I got six more years of this mess. Let me get through this. But I remember getting to my high school graduation. And I remember getting there and thinking to myself, yes, freedom. Does anybody remember that? How many of you said that? Freedom, when you graduated, you thought, I'm out from underneath mom and daddy's hands. This is going to be phenomenal. It was a train wreck. I remember going into college and thinking to myself, man, I wish I would have enjoyed it back when I was a kid. Now that you're an adult and you're working and you have kids, you're like, man, if I could go back to when I was a kid, not living in this day and age, but back when I was living in the 80s, you know. But I remember those things, and I remember I couldn't wait to take those next steps. I couldn't wait to put on that cap and gown. I couldn't wait to graduate. I couldn't wait to get out of mom and dad. Isn't it amazing that the older we get, there are still things we can't wait to do. As we begin to work, many of you are thinking, I can't wait to retire. You know? Or many of you parents are thinking to yourself, I can't wait to be grandparents. I can't wait to see this. I can't wait to see that. There's so many things that we say, once we get to that point, we've arrived. Can I explain something to you? We don't ever arrive in this world. We don't. There are still more things to look forward to. There are still more things we can't wait. I'm going to tell you, you really can't wait till you get to that final graduation, the cemetery. That's the final graduation. That's when you have arrived. But the question is, is what are you going to do till you get there? What are you going to do? How are you going to live? Well, today I want to talk about three aspirations that the graduates should set after graduation. But to be honest with you, these are aspirations that as Christians we should have as well. Look at me in Philippians 3. We're going to begin in verse 12. And we're going to see the first aspiration we should have is setting goals. Verse 12 says... Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. 
setting goals. Harvard University did a study many, many, many years ago, and their study was they wanted to see how their graduates achieved success. They set a mark. They said, we want to see who are going to be the first ones to make a million dollars. Now, how many of you would like that as a goal? Now, many of the graduates would be like, yeah, I'd love to be a millionaire. That was their standard. They set it up for $1 million. And so they asked this question. They said, okay, we want to know how many of you have set goals, have written those goals down, and have plans to achieve those goals. They found there was a group that had set goals, had made plans to achieve it. They found that there were those who had set goals but not written it down or had plans to achieve it. And then they had those that their only plan was to graduate. They found that the group over here that set goals, wrote it down, and had goals and plans in order to reach their goal, they achieved that million-dollar mark in less than five years. They found that those that had goals but had not written them down and had not made plans for it, it took them a bit longer than the other group. And they found that those that had no plans and no goals didn't ever achieve it. Now, isn't that amazing that they set that standard as their standard of success? But for us as Christians, our standard of success shouldn't be to reach a million dollars. Because to be honest with you, once you reach a million, then you're going to want two. Then you're going to want three, and you're going to keep wanting and wanting and wanting, and what will you give up to accomplish it? Now, money's not a bad thing. Please understand, money is not a bad thing. It's what you do with what you have. It's also how you attain it and how you get there. When we think about this, there are a couple of things when it comes to setting goals that as young people you should set. Some of you are going to have educational goals. You're going to say, well, I want to get my bachelor's degree. Some of you are going to say, well, I want to go get my master's. Some of you are going to want to move on to be a doctor. You're going to have different aspirations and different goals for where you want to be educationally. You're going to have different goals for vocationally. You're going to want to know what you want to do. Now, it's amazing. At 18 years old, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had set so many plans growing up. I was going to be a lawyer because they make a lot of money. I had set plans, and then once I realized how much school they had to go through, I said, that's not for me. I said, you know what? I think I want to be a doctor. I like the money that they make. Then I found out how much school you had to go to. I said, that's not for me. I'll tell you what. Seeing as how I can't have the money, I'll go to school and be an accountant. That way I can at least count it. The truth of the matter is, is we all have goals, even vocationally. But the most important thing that we need to be setting are those spiritual goals. It's not about a job. It's not about getting a salary or having benefits. The truth of the matter is, is every one of us goes through that journey. But the greatest goal that we have, if you look at what Paul's saying here, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. In other words, I have not arrived in my Christian journey. I still have a distance to go. Every one of us, it doesn't matter how old you are in here today, you still have a distance to go. That distance leads you to the cemetery. It is, you have not arrived until you get to that point. The question is, is how are you getting there? What are you doing before you get there? What mark are you leaving behind? Are you being a representation of Jesus Christ that would satisfy Jesus with the way you've been living? He says, I've not already attained, I've not come to that point, I'm not perfected, but I press on. We've got to have a desire to press on. For some of you today, the first goal you need to set is your own salvation. 
Some of you today, you're not living for Jesus because you don't know him. You're not living for Jesus because you've not surrendered to him. And here's the thing, many of you that have graduated, you have surrendered to Jesus or you've said you've surrendered to Jesus, but when was the last time you served him? One of the biggest issues we have today with people that graduate from high school is that 90%, listen to me, 90% get out of church. They become what we call CEOs. They only go when mama wants them to come. That's not a good mindset. What I would tell you high school graduates, if you graduate and you go to another city, find a church there. Find a BCM group that you can join and be a part of. You don't say, well, I'm a member at Hillcrest. That's great. When you come here, come here. When you're at school, go there. Don't come home every weekend to go to church with your parents. Go to church there, experience college there, and get to know other Christians there. You see, the truth is, is we've got to have those spiritual goals. But for many of you, it begins by knowing Jesus Christ first and foremost. For those of us that are Christians, there's a second step in salvation, and that's called sanctification. Every one of us should be living that. Every one of us should be getting further and further from the man or woman we used to be and getting closer to Jesus. Every one of us should have a goal to where we don't look the same as we used to look. We need to have a goal that says, you know what, I'm not who I am and I'm not going back to that direction. We're not going to follow what Peter said and be like a dog that returns to his own vomit or a pig that returns to the mire. We're going to press on is what Paul says. We're going to move forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I understand sometimes as Christians, we take two steps forward, and then we may take a step back. It does happen. Paul even said he had not arrived. What he meant by that was he said this, the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. He says, wretched man that I am. We are at that point, but the purpose and the truth of the matter is, is we still ought to be moving forward so that if we take a step back, we're still not back where we used to be. We might take a step back, we evaluate our lives, repent of that, and then we begin to move forward again. Paul said we press on. Pressing on has the idea of like a runner that's running a race, and he stretches full form. We're stretching to the finish line. In other words, we're putting every fiber of our body as we stretch to get to that line. Paul understood what it meant. He says, I've been poured out as a drink offering. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. And now the race is finished. We need to come to that point where we're pressing on. And guess what? We will arrive at that final destination called glorification. There will come a day where you will one day finally be perfect but it ain't gonna be here it's not gonna be here we've got to press forward we've got to set goals as christians we ought to set goals when it comes to the disciplines of our faith every one of us in here ought to have goals for what we want to do a couple years ago when i first came here one of the things i said is i want our church to read through the bible together We set Bible reading plans out there, and many of you picked them up. I was thrilled. I had set 200 Bible reading calendars out there, and they were all taken. We had to print more. What a blessing. Because I'm here to tell you, I've never seen that many taken before. Now, I don't know how many of you finished it, 
If you didn't finish it, don't beat yourself up. Pick up another one and get on it again. The truth is, is we got to set those goals because we want to get closer to God. We ought to set goals for Bible reading. We ought to set goals for prayer. You say, well, what kind of goal can we set for prayer? You can simply say this. I'm going to do more than pray for my food. I'm going to do more before I pray to go to bed. I'm actually going to spend time in prayer so that I can get closer to God. We need to set goals for winning people to Jesus Christ. If you're not out there sowing seed, you're certainly not going to reap it. You've got to be out there in the midst of the harvest. There are goals that we as Christians need to be setting, and we need to set a standard that we can rise up to. It's not a problem to set goals and not reach them. The truth of the matter is I've set many a goal and not reached it yet, but I keep reaching for it. I'm not done. I'm not through. I'm not satisfied. And the truth is, once I reach that goal, I set another one. I want to keep moving forward. I want to press on, like Paul said. Problem is, is we can allow too many things to get in the way to press on. We can allow too many things to get in our path. And Paul understands that. And that's where he comes to in verse 13. And that's what I want us to understand. We need to be reaching forward. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul said, sometimes you got to forget your past. Sometimes you got to forget your past. Now, that's not to say you can't learn from the mistakes you've made in the past. But you can't let them hold you hostage any longer. The past has to go. And now I need you to understand a few things about this. Number one, that means mistakes you've made. One of the hardest people that we have to forgive when it comes to the Christian life is our own selves. God will have already forgiven you. God will already have let it go. You might even come back to God and say, God, I'm sorry I did such and such. And he's going, what sin are you talking about? I've already forgiven you of that. There's no need to keep bringing that up. It's cleansed. It's forgotten. I've done paid for it. It's done for. Let it go. Our mistakes cannot continue to hinder us. Are there consequences to mistakes we make? Of course there are. But they're not going to hinder us from doing everything God wants us to do. We've got to let our past rest in the past. But I also want you to understand that sometimes you've got to let past successes rest as well. You say, well, what do you mean past successes? I'm here to tell you that the problem is a lot of times we as Christians, we atrophy in our spiritual muscles. Well, we did some great things back in the day. What we've been living for lately hadn't been as good. Let's be honest, sometimes we are so celebrating our past successes that we have no future sight. We're so busy looking back at all the good things we've done, we've forgotten that we still have good things to do. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, there's a couple of great examples in Scripture. Let's think about Noah. When we read the book of Genesis, everybody loves the story of Noah. They love the fact that God spoke to him, asked him to build an ark. He built a boat, not by water. He built a boat. He, wasn't, he didn't have a Chevy to drag it to the lake. He built a boat on dry ground that nobody could move, nobody could help him with. He built this humongous ark, and he was supposed to bring in animals two by two, which I believe God brought them for him. But Noah was this great man of God that God used to save him and his family and save the entire world. God did a great work in and through Noah. If it hadn't have been for him, we wouldn't be here. Isn't it amazing? You can trace your lineage back to Adam, but you can even trace it back to Noah. We all came from Noah and his wife. But God used them. But do you forget what happened at the end of his life? He got drunk. 
Isn't it sad that the last story you hear of Noah is him getting drunk? I'm here to tell you sometimes we can become apathetic because we can hold on to those past successes and forget that God has things for us in the future. Noah's not the only one. How about King David? I love King David. King David was a man after God's own heart. He defeated Philistine after Philistine after Philistine. He slew Goliath. God used him mightily. He became a great king even when he was tortured by the king at the time by Saul. He fled into caves. He built up an army. He defeated the enemies. He was a great man of God. He wrote many psalms. He wrote much of the word of God. David was an incredible man. But you know what happened to David? He got apathetic. It says at the time when kings should go out to battle, what was he doing? He was at home. Idle hands lead to much sin. When you put yourself in a situation where you become idle, it is easy to dig into sin. David did that. When kings were out battling, David was at home. He went up on a rooftop. And many say, David couldn't help what he saw. You're right, but he can help what he beheld. Once he saw it, he should have went back inside. That's just like you when you got a TV remote. You may not help what you flip across, but you can help what you stay on. You can help what you continue to gaze at. You say, well, brother, I go to the beach. Well, good for you. Do you sit there and gaze and gawk and ghoul and drool and all of those things? The question is, is you can stop it before it becomes a problem. When temptation hits, will you stand up against Satan? The truth is, when you look at this, you can allow those past successes, if you're not careful, just like David and just like Noah, to hinder you from moving forward. But he not only said, don't worry about your past, forgetting those things which are behind. He says, reaching to those those things which are ahead. Reaching to those things that are ahead. When we graduate, I remember when I graduated, all I could think about is, man, When I graduated college, I can't wait to get a house. I can't wait to get married. I can't wait to get my own car. And I can't, and then I got that apartment. And then when that first water bill came in, I was like, what is this? Why does the city want me to pay for water? That doesn't make any sense. I called my dad up. I said, Dad, you ever paid a water bill? He goes, Son, I'm on a well. I ain't paid a water bill, but I do have to pay to fix the well if it goes dry. And I remember just thinking to myself, I couldn't wait. I had aspirations. I had goals. As Christians, we've got to be moving forward as well. As Christians, we've got to be careful that we don't die out spiritually. We've got to make certain that we work those spiritual muscles on a continual basis. We need to be growing in the wisdom of the things of God. If you don't work your spiritual mind through the word of God by simply saying, well, I don't understand it. Well, I understand there are certain things that I don't understand at times, but it doesn't make me close the book and put it aside. It makes me dig in deeper. I want to know more. I want to dig in deeper. I want to work those spiritual muscles. If you haven't served in the church in years, it's time for you to get off the pew and start working. We need you to work your spiritual muscles. And let me tell you something. It's just like going to the gym. If you haven't been to the gym in a couple of years and you ain't worked out in a couple of years, it hurts. But stop being lazy. Get off the pew and serve. We've got to have these spiritual goals and pressing forward to what God would have us to do. 
I'm here to tell you, if you're not careful, you can allow so many things to hinder you from the future that God has for you. The Bible makes it very clear. Those you hang out with are who you become like. Bad company corrupts good morals. That makes it very clear. If you hang out with people in the church that don't serve, guess what? You won't serve. If you hang out with people in the church that don't find it important to read the Bible, guess what? You won't read the Bible. If you hang out with people in the church that don't find it important to pray, guess what? You won't pray. Now, we can go to the opposite side of that. If you hang out with people who drink, guess what you're going to do? You're going to drink. You begin to hang out with people who cuss, guess what you're going to do? You're going to end up cussing. It does affect you whether you want to believe it or not. You hang out with people who gossip, you're going to gossip. It's going to happen. You have to be careful of the company you hang out with. You have to be careful because you will end up doing what they do. You say, oh, Brother John, I'm a strong Christian. Well, let me tell you what a strong Christian does according to the book of Proverbs. A strong Christian doesn't put themselves in that situation. A strong Christian will walk way away from the situation so that he doesn't ever get near it. A strong Christian doesn't play with sin. A strong Christian runs away from sin. A strong Christian doesn't allow the woman to grab you by the robe and go, hey, you need to let go of my robe. You need to let me go. This is not good. This is not right. The strong Christian is going to take that robe off and run like Joseph did. You don't allow yourself to stand in the midst of temptation. You run from temptation. You get out of the way. Don't give in. You've got to press forward. Spiritually, we must be moving forward. The church has to move forward together. So we got to set goals. we got to reach forward. Number three, we need to aim high. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And in this world, we're told, and teens, you'll know this, it's achieve the American dream. Many of you know what the American dream is, right? The American dream is simply this. It's to have a house, a car, a family with 2.5 kids. I don't know how that works out, but 2.5 kids. That's the American dream is to have success. It's to arrive. It's to achieve more than your, get this, more than what your parents did. Isn't that amazing? It, our, our parents set the standard. I want to give you more because I want to see you do more than me. Give your kids more of Jesus so they'll do more for Jesus than you. That's what we need. The American dream, I'm here to tell you, Solomon lived the American dream. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 2 is, is filled with the way Solomon tried to live the American dream. He said, you know what? I had money. Let me tell you how much money Solomon had. I can't even tell you how much he had. I know this much. Silver was like stones. Could you imagine if you went out into your yard and you pulled up every rock in your yard, that was a piece of silver? You'd be rich. They said silver was like stones in the time of Solomon, and he had almost as much gold. Solomon was the richest of the rich. He had more than enough, and yet he kept pursuing more. Not only was he rich, but Solomon had success and fame. He built buildings that nobody else was able to build. He built a monument to himself. Seven years it took him to build his own house. Fourteen years to build the house of God. He spent time building all kinds of buildings to lift his name up, to write his name in history so that his name would carry on. He had success. Solomon had wisdom. He was smarter than anybody in here. 
He had such wisdom that he could judge all the people and judge them correctly. Solomon was the wisest of the wise, and the Bible tells us so. Solomon also tried to find success by having many women. In fact, he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. I would tell you he was a fool, not a wise man. I can barely handle one. I am not looking at the front row right now. But imagine that. But we look at that and we look at Solomon and go, man, that's, I want what he's got. He had it all. If we were to look at it in today's day and age, here's what Solomon would look like. He'd look like a social media influencer. One who's got millions of followers, who never has to work a day in their lives, but lives in a multi-million dollar mansion, drives the Ferrari on Monday, a Lamborghini on Tuesday, and a Lotus on Wednesday, and you name any other car you want for the rest of the week. He's got everything, or she has everything they could ever want. They've got a wife and many mistresses. They've got money pouring out of their ears. And oftentimes people will look at those social media influencers and say, man, I wish I could be like them. No, you don't. Because they'll end up coming to the same conclusion that Solomon came to in during his life. And that is this, about everything he had. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If you're living for what you can get in this life, if you're living to have your best life now, I don't want it here. I have another place I'm laying my treasures up. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's a Christian dream. The Christian dream is to arrive to perfection. You say, well, Brother John, you just said earlier that we'll never be perfect. No, we won't. But that shouldn't keep us from striving to be perfect. That should, just because we won't be perfect and just because Paul said the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do want to do, I don't do, just because he struggled and just because we struggle doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep clawing and pawing and dragging and moving and going forward trying to get to perfection. We've got to keep pressing on. The problem is as many of us have decided that in the walk for Jesus Christ, we just sat down and we said, you know what, I've arrived because I got my ticket to heaven and I'm good to go. There's so much more to this life, and God has called you to do so much more. The Christian dream is eternity. It is arriving at that place of eternity and standing before God, because every one of us will. And my goal, my dream, my desire above all things is to stand before God and hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Now again, that doesn't mean that I've always done everything right. That doesn't mean that I've always been successful in the things that I've done. That doesn't mean that I haven't faltered or failed or sinned at some point in my life. It doesn't mean that I've always done what I'm supposed to do. But what it does simply mean is this, is that when I fail, I repent before God. And then I get back up, as the old saying does, and I get back up on the horse and I keep moving forward. I don't fall off my bike and rub my knee and swear I'll never get back on the bike. As a Christian, I don't fall off the Christian life journey, fall down, scrape my knees and say, that's it, I'm done. Because I've had it. It's just too hard. It's just too rough. No, that's not what I do. I repent, I get back up, and I keep moving forward. Could you imagine if a child came to you and they graduated kindergarten and they said, you know what? I have arrived. 
I've learned everything I need to learn. I don't need any more education. I'm sure there's a parent out there that would probably go, you know what, you're right. You know what, you, you got the ABCs, you can count to 10. You can even feed yourself and I don't have to put a diaper on you anymore. Congratulations, you have arrived. Now, the other 99.9999999% of us would look at you and say, you're stupid. They have not arrived. They have not accomplished what they should be doing. They have not gotten to that point. Why? Because we require more. If we require more educationally for our kindergartners... Should not Jesus Christ require more of you in your walk with him than just saying, well, I'm a Christian, I'm good to go, I don't have to do anymore. No. we got to press on. Have you arrived or are you just getting started? I can tell you this, I'm, I'm in neither one of them. I'm, I hope I'm midway through my journey. 47. Been a Christian Almost 30 years now. I hope to have at least 30 more. I have not arrived. I'm not at the beginning of the race. I'm about right in the middle. But what I'm hoping, though, is even though I might be about midway through my life or even more than midway through my Christian life, what I'm simply hoping is this, is that I will arrive to that point at the end of my life, right before I leave this world, I can get to a point where I am doing so much more good that I can rarely find something I'm doing wrong. That I'm living for the glory of God in such a way that it is a rarity that I sin. I've got to move forward. And so do you. Graduates, the one thing I can tell you, don't get into college and think you have arrived. Guys that have graduated college, don't think you have arrived, especially spiritually. You've got to keep pressing forward. You've got to keep moving on. Because if you don't, if you don't, I'm here to tell you the generation that's coming up right now, we're losing. We're losing. And I'm not the only pastor that sees it. In fact, I talk to all the pastors around the area. We're losing that battle. When 90% are getting out of church, we must be doing something wrong. We better start changing it up. We better start doing better because we better not lose this next generation. And you say, well, if we lose the next generation, at least there's a generation behind them. If we lose a generation, we're more than likely to lose the next one too because they're the ones influencing that next generation. We better get on track. And graduates, I pray, don't get out of church. Remain true to God. Stay close to him and hang out with the right people.